Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome to another Roker Report Extra podcast. I'm your host Chris Wynn and we're recording after another victory in League One. So surely we're expecting to hear an upbeat celebratory podcast or maybe not. Um, Just to let you know as well that I might sound like I'm recording from the Western Front in 1917 but it is in fact uh, fireworks outside which you can no doubt hear in the background at some point during this podcast. Um, But let's uh, crack on and find out what uh, today's guests have to say about our most recent victory. Uh, this week, I'm delighted to welcome two people to review a pretty bizarre 2-1 victory over Ipswich Town at the Stadium Alight on Tuesday night. Uh, first, we have someone who was fairly vocal in the player ratings pod immediately after the game, uh, all the way from Gloucester. I'm very pleased to be joined by Bomber. How are you tonight? All right, Chris. Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Have you uh, calmed down a little bit after that immediate uh, ratings podcast? <laughs> I have, but you know we're about to bring up all those emotions again, so who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's see if you get fired up or you're all calm and um, philosophical about mm. the, the victory. No, yeah. but we'll, we'll wait and see on that good stuff. And secondly, we, we have someone who I'm sure you will all recognise, and it's the first time I've been on an extra pod with him, and I think it might be even be his uh, extra pod debut. I'm pleased to say we're joined uh, by Tom O'Brighton. How are hello, you? Hello, hello. I'm all right. Is, uh, Long Benton's currently resembling a war zone, but bar that, is, <laughs> uh, we're all good, yeah. Good stuff. So... Uh, 2-1 victory for Sunderland against a a promotion rival uh, and one of the favourites to go up. Uh, That means we're we're now sitting in sixth, but only four points behind Peterborough, who are top and have a game in hand. Uh, And we have a game in hand even. And we've only lost one in 10 as well. So surely that all sounds really rosy for Sunderland. So we'll we'll see what the lads have to say. And we'll start from the beginning and we'll start with the team selection. I mean, Conor McLaughlin has been given a run at the back in the back three. Uh, Charlie White keeps on scoring up top, so keeps his place. Uh, Captain Max Power has been dropped to the bench. So quite a few issues and, and things going on with the starting lineup. So I'll start with you, Bomber. Did you have an issue with the team selection that Phil Parkinson went with against Ipswich? No, not not really. I didn't have an issue with it. I was um, I was actually quite pleased to see McLaughlin staying at right centre back because I think he's he's actually the couple of times he's been in there he's been pretty good for us. I think it's clear to see that he's not a right wing back or that he shouldn't be a right wing back. But the the few times he's been in that position, he's done. I, in my opinion, done pretty well defensively. I was quite surprised to see Max Power drop out. You know, Parkinson's named him captain, so you'd anticipate that that's him starting every game for now and for eternity. I don't think he's necessarily put in the performances that warrant a starting place. So that was a little bit of a surprise. And well, as as for the, the, the up front, 
you know, Charlie White keeps winning the lottery every week, doesn't he? So um, and he's scoring goals, so he's going to be in there. Parkinson's got a reason reason to keep him in there, irrespective of what anybody thinks of him. And like I said, he, he is scoring goals. So, uh, so yeah, not necessarily surprised. And I didn't really have a, a problem with it either. Yeah, I mean, Tom, I mean, obviously we're looking at it, you know, it, with hindsight, we know what happened in the game, but... You know, when the when the team was announced, can you remember having too many issues and thinking, oh, he's done this and, and what's he doing? No, not really. Um, I I think it's one of those, isn't it, where we're limited in, in sort of certain areas with injuries and, and limitations, sort of, you know, Jordan Willis being out, kind of injured, kind of not, or whatever situation that is. So he, he's basically put out the best team he could do. Uh, again, I... I'd like to see a little bit more variation on the bench, but again, few injuries are kind of dictated that we can't do that. So really, I think if you're picking fault with that, you are just being a little bit sort of sort of picky going into the game somewhat. Because, you know, even though it wouldn't have been the first, you know, everybody's favourite team to put out, still a fairly solid team. Interesting. I'll, I'll probably come back to to you, both of your comments there on, on Parkinson getting it right in terms of oh, the no, team no, no, selection. Oh, no, 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 we didn't see you got it right. We just said uh, he didn't get it wrong. <laughs> no, no I, heard, I heard praise from both of you there, so I'll, I'll pull you back up on that later on. Well, let's get in the game itself. We started off quite brightly. Eight minutes gone. Uh, Lyndon Gooch uh, gets a ball into Charlie White's feet in the box with the help of some pretty uh, awful defending. Uh, he took a couple of decent touches for once uh, before slotting at home. Um, quite a dis- decent opening goal uh, that seemed to come out of nothing, Bomber. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was early on anyway. You know, the game hadn't really settled down. I think we were quite not fortunate. Well, we were fortunate in the way that the ball broke to, to Gooch in the first place, but you know, full credit to him for the pass that came through. I think he split two, possibly even three defenders. And for once, Charlie White's taken a touch and it's not got five yards away from him. It was a it was a very good touch. And actually I was I was quite impressed in that that second piece of movement that he did, where he just cut across the defender to stop make them making that uh, that challenge for the ball. And if they do challenge for the ball, there's an argument that they could be giving away a penalty. So that actually was for me, it was very good striking play. Um and it was actually for for Charlie Wyke a, a quite a cool uh, and calm and collected finish. But yeah, like I say, you can't say we we, we necessarily deserved it because it was it was too early on in the game to to say. But I think for the pass, the control, and the finish, it was it was very much deserved. Right, I'm just going to write those notes down. Um, you know, for Bomber said that Charlie Wyke was cool, calm, collected, and did for good once. strike and play. For, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> for once, yeah. I didn't hear the caveat in yeah. that. Um, <laughs> and I'm not not convinced about that uh, that pass from Gucci's. Um, you're not through the eye of a needle, but I'm fairly certain the defence made a complete balls up of it. But anyway, nitpicking. Uh, uh, Tom um, on Charlie White. I mean, Bob, I kind of mentioned how cool, calm, and collected he was there. He scored four goals in our last six games, but there's still calls for Will Grigg to come in or Danny Graham uh, to replace Charlie White. I mean, do you think it's as simple at the minute to say that he's the man in form so he should keep his place? Uh, yes and no. I think you've got, got an argument either side. It was mentioned a few weeks ago, probably on consecutive podcasts even, is one thing we had to do was stop rotating the strikers because the strikers weren't forming up any partnerships with any players out wide. And sort of it was evidenced, starting to see the evidence now as well in favour of it. Uh, balls coming in from either side is Wyke was never really, wasn't anticipating them, wasn't getting across his man. He kind of didn't know what was going to be coming into the area. Same with Graham, same with Greg, is none of them really struck up a partnership. Now you're seeing Wyke spend a little bit more time in there, probably courtesy of a few, you know, spawny goals. But you can see him reacting better to crosses. There's just three or four times during the game and three or four times last week. Wyke's, he's 
looked to get in front of his man or he's read an early ball into the box. And there's just little partnerships like that that's kind of justifying why he's staying in there. I think a lot of people want to see him gone or see a change purely because the temptation of when White is on the pitch to just hit it long is ridiculous. And it's something that there's certain players in the team cannot, can't let go of it. So I think what White represents at the moment is a brand of football that nobody's really enjoying watching. It's a very attritional game of football, but Charlie White's a very attritional footballer. So you can see the argument for why you can stay in the team because you've got a striker that's scoring goals. And at the end of the day, you judge a striker on how many goals the score, you know. But he does represent something which is, is kind of a cloud that's hanging over the results at the moment, which is, quite frankly, the football is just not enjoyable to watch. Yeah, compared to social media, you know, after the game, uh, you two have been very politically correct about the, the names you're picking for Charlie Wake. You know, attritional and cool, calm, collected. You know, don't wouldn't like to compare those to some of the other words that we used. Yeah, uh, I think the, the thing for me, Chris, is that, uh, and I'm going to say, I might sound absolutely ridiculous in saying this because he has scored what is it four league goals now. Is that for the for the rest of the game? For me, he doesn't do anything. He he has missed chances, which you would have put your money on other strikers putting away. I just don't see anything else that he offers. And like I said, I'm going to sound stupid because the thing he's there to do is score goals, and he's done that in the last few weeks. But I've got more faith in some of the other strikers contributing more to the game as a whole, and and maybe maybe not necessarily scoring the goals themselves. Although you know you you like to back Graham and and, and Greg to score goals, but doing more to actually actually make the football a little bit more palatable. Well, on that, Bomber, I mean, Tom mentioned it there. Do you think that even though Charlie White's scoring the goals and he's doing what it says in the team, you know, that he's, he's there to score goals, that's what he needs to do. But Tom kind of touched on that point, what you, you just mentioned there, that Charlie White, in a sense, he doesn't do the things that, you know, people want to see from a Sunderland striker. Like, he doesn't, you know, when Maguire's got the ball or Lyndon Gooch, he doesn't look, you know, for those runs in behind he doesn't get it to feed. He doesn't do something entertaining with it. I mean, is that part of it that people that he doesn't do what people want him to do or want a striker to do for Sunderland? Yeah, I think so. I think that fundamentally, as football fans, and certainly as football fans as of what you might call lower league clubs now, because I think in essence that's what we are currently. You want to see one of two things: you want to see one hundred and ten percent effort closing down work rate etc or you want to see little individual bits of flair now Chris Maguire against Ipswich did both and has the capability of doing both Charlie White kind of doesn't do either so you you don't necessarily see him belting around the pitch trying to close people down trying to close a goalkeeper down trying to close a fullback down and you also do certainly don't see any sort of flair from him so you then start to question as a, as a football fan you know what is that striker doing and you, you don't like to see it because you're not seeing one or the other and he does he does fall victim to that some of it will be his own doing some of it because he's not that sort of player some of it will be because we we tend to play long balls into him but I think fundamentally if someone sat in front of a screen watching Charlie White for for 90 minutes you know it, you, 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 oh no, <laughs> you, you struggle to come out of a game having watched it thinking what has he contributed and again I'm going to sound stupid because he's contributed goals in the last few games but you know to, to, the, to the game to the game as a as something that's palatable to watch what has he contributed to it and yeah. I, I maybe I put him under too much of a microscope but I see a ball go into his feet and it bounces five yards off and, and we lose possession or I see him try and hold the ball up and then uh, play a square ball to, to one of the, the wide players and it goes out of play or it gets intercepted and it's those things that I pick up on rather than the fact that you know for 30 seconds of a 90 minute game he's he's, he's scored a goal and he's been in the right place at the right time uh, you know 
Maybe I'll come into criticism for that. But I mean, just to f- put a full stop on it, Tom, I mean, is that the contradiction with Charlie Wake that almost a, you could say he's a, a traditional League One striker and we're maybe expecting a bit too much from him? Are we being unfair on him? don't think we're being unfair on him because at the end of the day, we're a club where we shouldn't be in League One. And at the end of the day, if you don't want to be in League One, you've got to find yourself championship footballers. So, you know, if you lower your expectation, you just lower yourself to expecting to be a League One club. So having high expectations isn't isn't a bad thing necessarily. I think ultimately the, the way you could probably describe the issue with Charlie White to kind of draw to a point is a lot of frustration from people comes from the fact that a lot of people feel that White has been afforded more opportunities than other strikers who probably are more deserving or who mm-hmm. do deserve that opportunity. You look at Will Gray, for instance. He's not really had an opportunity this season, but during pre-season, we saw him trim down, we saw him bulk up, and we saw him get fitter. And the reward for that has been scanned. You know, the thing with Kim Bjorka's deal, yes, it dragged on, but he's been banging goals, bang goals in for the under-21s, yet he doesn't even see him anywhere near the bench. So there's a lot of fans looking at it going, look, the strikers here who are making effort outside of the pitch because that's the only place that can make this effort is outside of the game day. And then they're not being given an opportunity, whereas White seems to just stumble from game to game almost and just stumble upon opportunities and stumble upon goals. Because you see there, four and six, I would say three of those have come from quite frankly horrific defending. So it's not like he's carving these chances out for himself. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily being harsh, but I do think there's just an overriding frustration there that there's a lot of people feel that he's kind of just stumbling through games and he's it doesn't look like he's putting that effort in, whereas his other players are absolutely chomping at the bit and they just can't get an opportunity while Wake's just given chance after chance after chance. Well, let's let's leave the, the Charlie Wake debate behind for now, um, just with the reminder that uh, Bomber said he was cool, calm and collected. Once, and we can, once. We, can, <laughs> we can move on. I mean, getting back to the game, I thought uh, for the first 25, 30 minutes, I thought we looked really bright in terms of really pressing Ipswich in their own half when, when they were in possession. But in possession, we seemed kind of following on from where we left off in previous games, kind of slow and ponderous uh, when we had the ball. I mean, do you think that's a fair assessment of the open period, Bomber? Yeah, yeah, I thought I, I was, I was, I was actually very impressed with our first twenty-five, thirty minutes defensively. You know, in particular, the person for me at least that stood out in that period was off the ball at least was was Chris Maguire. You know, the 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 work rate that he put in, and I think he probably burned himself out in that first twenty-five minutes or so because he was putting the the goalkeeper and the, the entire back line of um, of Ipswich under pressure just constantly. And the amount of times that we won the ball back in midfield or or at the back because we were forcing them to play long and play rushed. Uh, passes was was largely down to him. I thought the back three looked very well organised that first um, that first period. I just think that we we kind of panicked Ipswich a little bit, but unfortunately it did look like we kind of blew ourselves a gasket a little bit um, on the thirty minute mark, and it just seemed to, out of nowhere just completely the performance just completely one eighted, and, and we looked we looked like the team under pressure and and that was a little bit scared to do anything with it. But I wasn't I wasn't surprised at, at how lacking we were going forward because that's been the way that we've we've approached games and the way that we've performed in in, in games throughout the season not just in the last couple of weeks that's 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 been the story of our season um but it was nice to see at least for that half hour period um the defense and the defensive display back up to the levels that we've actually come to expect from a Phil Parkinson Sunderland side this season 
as you mentioned, we're kind of tailed off for the last kind of quarter of an hour of, of the first half, the, the final kind of 15 minutes. Uh, and Ipswich got an equaliser. Tom, do you think there was a, as a question mark over maybe our defending for that goal? And would it maybe be harsh to say Bird should have done better? Bird one probably harsh. I think he's done the best he can. He's, you know, come out, close the angle down. Kids just hit a rasper at the end of the day. It's gone in off the inside of the post. Looks like he's got a bit of a fingertip onto it. But the bigger problem obviously comes before then. And I did write it down because I wanted to make a point of this. Is for all we we praise the pressing. And it is something that should be praised because we do hassle and hurry teams. But one thing I've noticed in the past couple of weeks is for some reason there'll be a brief moment in the game where the pressing just stops. And I don't know if other people noticed it, especially against Gillingham. It was a case where a lot of people were getting in on Hume for conceding the cross on the left. But just before that, Hume's the only one who's pressing the ball. So he gets caught in a 2v1. And from that moment on, he's playing catch-up. And the same kind of happened against Ipswich. I think it's O'Neill. He's pressing fairly high. He's pressing almost on the halfway line, which is fantastic. You want your wing, That's where you want your wing-back pressing at the end of the day. But nobody else was pressing. So it was two, I think it was one or two passes and they're out the way. And then, you know, they've set up a 1v1. They've got a winger driving in at a centre-back in McLaughlin, who, you know, he's not the quickest, we'll be honest. And that that kind of sets the ball rolling. So it's one of those. The defence is, you know, it's decent, but that press needs to be consistent. Yeah, that's that system of play only works if... If you've got four, five, six yeah. players all adopting yeah. the same yeah. principle, yeah. Well, on that, Tom, I mean, as I said, I mean, after 25, 30 minutes, it was almost kind of perfect for those that yeah. first half an hour. But what do you think happens? Do you think it, it's a matter of concentration or do you think there's an element of fitness in there as well? You could probably level both, to be honest. I think a lot of players are still catching up fitness-wise from the, the COVID break. I think some players use it as a chance to get really super fit, I think. Few players use it as a chance to sit on the ross, which, you know, to open to them. I think it's just a concentration thing. Obviously, you're not expecting pressing of that level for 90 minutes. So I think it's, you know, you see top teams doing it. Maybe it's something we need to look at where it, you're pressing bursts. So, you know, you're opening 15 minutes, especially at home. Push teams, harry them, get them into mistakes. But then you need to pick a time where you go, right, we're just going to, you know, ease back a little bit. We're going to try and control the play, get on the ball a bit more. Right, 10 minutes before half time, we're going to really push these again. And I think that, you know, going forward, that would be something to look at because I don't think you can press with that intensity, both concentration-wise and fitness-wise, for 90 minutes. I, it's it's just not possible, especially when you two wing backs are going to be playing 90 minutes yeah yeah I mean Bomber in, in terms of that goal Tom said you know we seem to to lose it a bit when defending from the front but considering how solid our back three have been do you think we've been maybe overestimating how good our back three are considering how much they've been tested or do you think maybe they're having a bit of a blip I'd like I'd like to think it's just a bit of a blip because I do I do think I wouldn't necessarily agree that they've not been tested. I think they have been tested, but they've just stood up to that test remarkably well up to you know the last couple of weeks or so and have probably made it look easier than it actually has been. That said, it was disappointing to see that goal being conceded after we started so so well, defensively at least. It was very disappointing to just see that one. And it was only that one error up to that point, kind of let them in and gave them the opportunity. Um, so it, that was disappointing, but... 
I've got faith in the, the shape that we we adopt and, and the players that we've got in those positions. I think it's quite clear that everybody who could possibly play that position knows how to play that position now or knows the, the style of play that Phil Parkinson wants us to have defensively. And I'm, I'm confident in that. It's it's the other end that I have issues with. We I come into every game watching confident that the chances are we're only going to see one at best. Yeah. But I say it's, it's the other end that concerns me more, really. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll come back onto that before we finish, Bomber. Mm. So 1-1 one, one at half time. Second half started pretty much the same as, as the first. Scruffy and a bit of a slog to watch. Uh, then 72 minutes gone, Tom. Um, Andre Dazelle is sent off for a tackle on Ledbetter. Now, the, the footage and the replay didn't really clear it up. There was a lot of people, when I first saw it, I, I thought there was nothing to it. I thought it was a bit of a nothing tackle. Seen a couple of screen grabs, which kind of make it, you know, muddy the waters a little bit. But uh, did you get a feeling it was a sending off? Again, same as you, sort of seeing it again. I watched the highlights again this morning, just to, you know, kind of refresh. And I thought, it doesn't look like much, but then you see the screen grabs, you see his foot's up, his studs are raised kind of thing. And then obviously the, the league will come out and says, look, we're, we're upholding the red card. So there's obviously enough footage here to prove it because there's one thing we've found out over in the one so far is that we'll rescind a red card when it's given incorrectly because the amount we've had rescinded kind of tells you that. So, no, I think in the end, you can probably see it was good referee. And if, if kind of the Liga says, yeah, you know, you are bang on, that is a red card. And, you know, Ipswich can complain, but from the stills, it, it just looks like his foot's high, studs are up. Mm. And at the end of the day, all it needs to be is, what well, your foot needs to be like that for a split second and you can go, can't you? Well, I think with the one camera available at, at each ground at the minute, I think the FA are just throwing all the all the appeals out the window uh. and saying, nope, go with the referee's decision. Uh, well, another decision 12 minutes later, Bob, um, we got a penalty for a handball. I mean, w- would you have been disappointed if that was given against us? Uh, I think you would be. I think with in those sorts of situations, if you're on the wrong end of that decision, you'll always feel hard done by. Um, I said it on the player ratings pod. I stand by it now. It's a stonewall penalty all day long for me and it's by the letter of law it's a penalty and now the, the don't get me wrong I think the handball rules themselves are a bag of shite but the actual decision itself is by the letter of the law a penalty you know if you were in Champions League or in the Premier League VAR would be pulling that back and they'd be going oh hang on ref that's that's a penalty so I've got no qualms with it whatsoever but you know it's 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 the contentious rule that's the, that's the issue so I think if, if it was given against us I wouldn't complain but you'd still be disappointed yeah yeah and then um, obviously Grant Ledbetter converts the penalty and we, and we win 2-1 I mean an, another three points uh, as we said earlier we're keeping tabs on the top as we mentioned at the top of the pod but I mean Tom again I mean we're going to I think we're probably on every single pod especially after immediately after games we always keep coming back to the performance I mean as far as you're concerned do you look at the performance as you know it was just an awful performance and we got out of jail or do you think we were well organized and as long as you do that you're always in in with a chance of winning the game uh, a bit in between I think I think you've kind of you've you've kind of halfway there with it because the decent teams in this division are organised. The the know that you know each individual knows the job defensively. Um, you're not going to get anywhere if you're not organised, and I think we've seen that from you know the past few seasons before, where we've looked at sixes and sevens at the back at times, and it ultimately it just comes back to bite you. 
the performances as a whole, though, is they're a bit Jekyll and Hyde. I think if you're a person who doesn't mind defensive football, attritional football, then, you know, you've and results are the only thing that matters to you, then, yeah, fair enough. You've not really got grounds for any complaint. However, looking forward and looking at the evolution of this side as well, because, you know, with football, you've got to think 12 months ahead, really. You've got to always be thinking, you know, two or three steps ahead of yourself. And like someone put in the group the other day, if this side got promoted with Phil Parkinson to the Championship, it's just coming straight back down because the that, you know, the other side of, yes, we may be organised defensively, so on and so forth, is essentially all our performances are doing is trying not to concede and then playing enough football or getting the ball into the opposition half enough that we're just banking on them making mistakes. There's been two or three games this season we've been bailed out by penalties and red cards. Not not through us, you know, with waves and waves of attacks or breaking teams down because they just simply can't keep us out anymore. It's teams that have defended fairly comfortably against us, but then have just made a stupid mistake. You know, the, you go back to the Peterborough game, were we the better side? marginally you know were we the better attacking side I didn't think we were I think on another day Peterborough could have put three or four past us so we were lucky in that sense and then we've ended up winning that game because of just one half decent attack and the defender making a stupid tackle you know the Ipswich game here we're talking about is there was two you know Ipswich were you know after the half an hour mark were probably on top there was two moments where Ipswich have given the initiative away with the red card and with the penalty so again it's you know it's teams making mistakes handing us these things you can only ride your luck for so long before that runs out and the problem we've got going forward is yes we may be defensively sound but if you're defensively sound and you're only conceding you know you're not conceding or you're only conceding one goal what happens when the goals dry up the other end because those 1-0 wins and those 2-1s all of a sudden become 1-1s 0-0s and then you know because Parkinson hasn't won enough he drops dangerously into that territory where Jack Ross was where there wasn't enough wins it was too many draws it was too stale it was was not enough goals it was not enough excitement there was just not you know in all the departments it was just that little bit that was missing when you put it all together it's something that can go really sour really quickly as we saw with Jack Ross so in a sense I am concerned with the performances although the results are good and you know the, the table makes for reading the table only tells part of the story so I think anyone criticising it does have a fair point at the moment because I honestly think we're two or three bad results away from dropping down the table fairly quickly and things going very, very sour. Bomber, just to bring you in on, on kind of the the level of performance. I mean, we're, we're here talking about it again. Mm. What is it? We're talking almost kind of 10 games into the season. Mm. We, we keep getting results, though. I mean, at some point, do we say that it's not luck that we're getting these results? and should we care if if we're still winning, you know, we're almost a quarter of a way through the season and we're, we could go a point within, you know, the team who's, who's top of the league. So, I mean, should we care that much about the performance? Uh, so so we, we, we absolutely should, Chris. So, I, I you know, I've come into criticism for myself for kind of slagging off the performances that, that we've had and saying, oh, you know, why aren't you happy we've won the game, et cetera, et cetera. But, you criticism, uh, Bomber. Well, I know. Second, I know. When you're on the, that player ratings pod, for example, you're there to rate performances, not, you know, whether we've got three points or not. And actually, and the performances just aren't good enough. The, the problem that I've got, and again, I will probably come into criticism because I said we're, what are we, fifth or sixth in the league and, uh, and you know, four points off of off the top. 
But I've got, again, I, I sit down and, and go in to watch every game with absolutely no confidence that we're going to win a game. The performances are, haven't been there throughout the whole season. I think the only time we played any sort of decent football was when we hoyed eight past Villa or Villa's kids. Um, but there's, it's one thing saying, OK, yeah, we, well, we're getting the results. But we are getting the results through fortune or through the opposition handing us uh, opportunities to go and take three points. We're not going. And, we're not carving out those opportunities for ourselves. We're certainly not scoring um, enough goals. Um, and you know, j- just just for that alone, it kind of puts us on the back foot in terms of certainly in terms of pushing for the automatic places. I mean, if you look, um, I've I've got the the top scorer list in, in front of me for the for, for League One, and you go into the top twelve, and there's not a Sunderland player in sight, and yet Portsmouth have got John Marquis and, and Marcus Harness both in the top five you've got you've got teams like Wim, AFC Wimbledon and uh, and Burton who you know are, are pretty poor sides have got players in that top 12 um, and you have to go all the way down to I think uh, about 19th until you get to Charlie White um, and there's a lot of teams in that 12 that have got two players in there for, for goals and assists so those teams are going to do it and they, they'll probably concede more goals than us over a season but they'll go out and win more games because they're, they're capable of creating more chances and therefore scoring more goals it, it's that end of the pitch that I'm you know in dire concern about really and I you know people can can, can argue with me about it or say I'm wrong or, or whatever but it's it's goals that essentially win you games and the winning games is what gives you the points to go up the leagues and I don't think anybody can hand on heart sit there and say that they've gone into every, any game this season and said, we're going to outplay these and we're going to beat them. We're going to outscore them. It, 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 it might have happened in hindsight, but no one can look forward and, and say that it, it, that you know they're confident of it happening. Yeah, I think to expand on what Bomber's saying there as well, is, which I totally agree with, is you get away with it at the start of the season because at the start of the season, teams haven't got that that fear built into them. They've, you know, there's a lot of teams don't actually know what they're going to be playing for one quarter, like a quarter of the way into the season. When we get halfway into the season and teams are looking forward and they're looking at the playoff places or they're looking at the automatic or there's six or seven teams looking over the shoulder thinking, shit, we have a couple of bad results away from getting dragged into this. That's when it's going to come and bite you. When teams don't come up and think, oh, well, we'll have a bit of a go, you know? When teams start coming to the stadium alight and going, look, lads, we just need to play for a draw. We're just going to, you know, two banks of five will just frustrate the life out of them. That's when it's going to hit. It's not going to hit now. It's going to hit further along in the season when teams are going to come and they're going to try and grind out results and they're going to try and defend the way that we're pointing all the rest of it. Or, you know, and the other thing is what happens if we hit a Peterborough or a Portsmouth who are in really good form you know and you've got to go down to Fratton Park and you know Portsmouth have won you know five of the last five games or whatever and they've scored two or three goals a game is what what realistically what are we going to do then are, are we good enough to dry teams up who are in that kind of form and then beat them 1-0 away from home and performances suggest that we probably aren't mm, yeah I mean, I mean you mentioned earlier on Tom about you know the prospect of actually getting promoted and you see you see a whole mix of clubs when they get promoted you know the likes of you know would go way back when you know go up like the likes of wolves went up with a whole you know host of a momentum playing really good football and then carried that on southampton leicester when they got promoted out of league one and then you've got the likes of wickham okay smaller club but they kind of limped over the line and now now they're paying for it um but i mean you know, would you be that bothered if we went up by sticking with these methods and we're kind of just worried about 
next season, you know, next summer? I would be, yeah, because what you've got to think of then is going into next summer, we don't know we don't know what's happening with the COVID and that going forward. So we could end up in a situation where you've only got a two, three week break, you know, something similar to what we've had between the end of last season and the start of this. To go up with these methods and then say, right, we're going to change once we get in a division higher is really, really risky. For some teams, it may work. You look at the likes of Wolves where they just kind of spend, 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 spend. But yes, it's worked. But what what would have happened to Wolves if it didn't work? They would have been in a world of pain with financial irregularities and and all the rest of it because everybody knows they spent way, way more and it was that, that kind of gamble on going up. It's a huge, huge gamble to take. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, go up to the championship and spend your first six or seven games, which when you get newly promoted, you kind of just want to get through, pick up a couple of wins at home, pick up a couple of draws away. So get 10 10 or so points on the board as quickly as possible just to get yourself settled. Last thing you need to be doing when you're chasing those early points is trying to reinvent your style of play. And I think that's been evidenced by sort of like, as you watch teams go through divisions, Kind of, you know, Lincoln have been pointed out a few times is Lincoln have kind of stuck to one style of play and they've utilised that to get through the divisions. And there's, you know, there's a lot of teams done that. You look at Leeds now, Leeds are doing all right in the Premier League, but they've implemented a style of play under Bielsa and they've just done that the higher up the tiers they get. And it's that continuity that I think puts you in good stead going forward. And I think to kind of go, right, we'll do this to get out of the division but then we're going to have to do something completely the opposite to remain in the division we're going into it's very very risky and I would without going into it too much I would dare say it probably fails as many times as it succeeds yeah watching a watching a Bielsa team play after watching a Phil Parkinson team play can reduce <laughs> you to tears um but but I mean I mean just a, the last point on the on the level of performance bomber not just Sunderland but if you see the opponents that were playing I mean, even even some of the Premier League games on you know on the on the TV Championship games, I've seen a couple of those. I mean, they've all seemed kind of low on intensity, low on quality. I mean, do you think overall, and you know, bringing it back to Sunderland's performances, that playing without fans is having some impact? Uh, I think it. So I think it does. I think it does play um, uh, play a part and and have an impact. I think Sunderland are in a bit of a unique position in that they are probably one of the few teams that are actually or should be benefiting in the current climate should be benefiting from not having fans in in the stadium we're we're in league 1 for a third season we saw uh, you know around about christmas time last season how bad it can get at the stadium of light um so you know the players this season should be going into home games with that sense of freedom at, at home and then without the intimidation factor away so you know we're in a, a bit of a unique position in that it should be beneficial um so I, i'm loath to give it um out as an excuse for for our performances um and our certainly for our, our lack of goals um you know there's there's much smaller teams and, and much well, if we're saying it but much worse teams on paper at least than us that are, that are still managing to to put um, to to create chances etc and uh, and they're um, equally playing behind closed doors and uh, without fans in there so I'm loath to use that as an excuse I think I think uh, uh, as Sunderland fans we're a little bit um, 
spoiled, I, I guess, um, and frustrated. And it's it's not a good mix in that we, you know, we see, as you've mentioned, we've seen the likes of Man City, of Southampton, of Leicester, um, go of Leeds go down into the into the third tier, bounce back up, and you know, more often than not, in those cases at least, it's been with a certain aplomb that there's this breath of fresh air amongst throughout the club. I think we, if we'd have gone up on the first season of coming into League One, then we may well have um, we may well have kicked on from there. But I think you know we're now into our third season. The squad hasn't really evolved. You know, there's been player rotation. Some people have come in, some people have left. But I, I don't see the squad as any better. Um, and people are frustrated. People are frustrated that you know the club hasn't kicked on in the same ilk as as a Man City, as a Leicester, as a Southampton. Um, and are probably bearing that frustrations out at the stadium alike. So with the players not sorry, with the fans not there, it's it's not an excuse for the players for me. Hmm. Okay, so you've both you started out saying Phil Parkinson's not making any mistakes with the um, team selections, but uh, the performances aren't great, but the results aren't bad. You know, being close to the to the top of League One. So me and Craig spoke with Brett last week and gave our views about uh, Phil Parkinson as manager of the club. Um, and I'll ask you first, Tom. <laughs> Um, do we persevere with Phil Parkinson and trust that he will get us promoted and implement a plan after that point? Uh, personally, for me, it's just a resounding no. Um, for me, I'm looking sort of, you look at the managers who are currently out of work, managers you might be able to get. Uh, there's a lot more progressive managers, uh, managers who, you know, the the ingrain a plan, they have a very defined style of play. You You know what you're getting with them. Sort of uh, the name that's been on my lips the past couple of weeks is the Cowley brothers. Kind of everywhere they've gone so far. I know it's a young career, but they've been innovative. They've utilised a mix of experience in youth players. They have taken LinkedIn far beyond where they ever dreamed. They kept the Huddersfield side that looked destined to go down in the championship on an absolute shoestring of a budget. And I just kind of feel like if we want to progress as a club, I know we've mentioned that, you know, Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, all that. It's those clubs, when they were in the third tier, they set the sights really high. They said, we're going to be a Premier League club in X amount of years. And then what they did was they implemented a series of plans which allowed them to do that, which involved managers, styles of play and, you know, kind of ethical ways to go about the football. Now, if we want to do that, we've got the same because... It's all well and good seeing, oh, we're a Premier League side just stuck in League One and it's temporary and all the rest of it. But unless you start, you know, putting those procedures in place, you're not just going to fluke your way at the Premier League because no side does that. And that's why I kind of feel we're not going to do it under Parkinson because we have fluked, you know, a fair few of our results this season. We did fluke a few wins last season as well. And it just seems that Parkinson kind of stumbles on something that works. And it works for a finite period of time, goes wrong, and then he, you know, he starts to tinker and stumbles on something else. That's not progressive. That's not progressive management. That is just reacting to what's happening in front of you. And you see it with his substitutions in game as well. It's like a small snapshot of how he works. Is he's not progressive. He's not the man who makes the first substitution. He's not the man who'll change the shape or you know add a bit of pace when it's needed or whatever. It's it's all very reactive, and I think when you're reactive, you're aggressive. Regressive, sorry. You've got to be progressive in in football. You've got to be looking forward. So for me, we've that's what we need to do. We need to kind of implement more of a plan than just going. Oh well, we'll see where we are, and then we'll adapt accordingly. 
because that's not going to get you, it's only going to get you so far. And I think, you know, given the access to youth players we have, the quality of training facilities we have and things, you know, things surrounding the club is, I honestly think, you know, we need to be looking at managers like the Cowleys who, you know, use these data metrics to sign players and pluck them from leagues, you've, you know, and teams you've never heard of and unearth these these kind of like, you know, lower league stars, so, you know, in a, in a respect, because that's how we're going to progress. And if you give these managers who've got the core skills, who've never really been afforded the budgets or the facilities, if you allow them to really expand themselves, is these are the kind of managers who can really push your club forward, you know, as an entity. And yeah, sure, if you got to the championship, you know, and you stagnate, at least you've got a blueprint. So you've got a defined set of managers you can go for and work from a blueprint and, and move forward with that. And I just, I can't see any of that with Parkinson. He doesn't favour youth. He, you know, he hasn't really got a defined style of play apart from, oh, we'll just lump it up with Charlie White and hope the defence fuck up. Like, you you know what I mean? There's just, there's there's nothing there that kind of thinks, oh, I can't wait to see where we are in five, six months' time. Whereas you might do with someone who's a bit more exciting and a bit more innovative. Since Tom's uh, sitting on the fence there, Bomber, about uh, Phil Parkinson, uh, <laughs> not <laughs> resounding no there that we should persevere with him. Um, I mean, do you think there's a good enough reason, a solid reason, why we should get rid of Phil Parkinson, considering, I mean, where we are on the table, how that's looking, and the fact that if we look at our fixtures, we've got a bit of a tough run of games coming uh, home to MK Dons, away to Doncaster, and away to Fleetwood. Is there a good, solid basis to say, yeah, let's get rid of the manager, let's change it up? So, firstly, I'm going to caveat and say that I do, I agree with what, everything that Tom's saying about you need a progressive manager if you want to achieve things, um, and that Phil Parkinson is, is almost like the um, antithesis of that. However, um, professional football, and certainly professional management, in football is a results game and you know no nobody has ever uh, the only person I can ever remember being sacked for purely just because they played uh what was perceived to be boring football or rubbish football was was Sam Allardyce at Everton and West Ham Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) um but the but the results for both of those weren't disastrous um it was but so, but yeah, aside from that anomaly, football is a results business. And one thing that you can't say is that on paper, Phil Parkinson is getting results. So to answer your question as to whether he should go, uh, no, no, he, he shouldn't at, at the minute, and nor will he. Um, if you're asking me whether I think he's the right man to get us promoted um, and ultimately set a foundation as being a solid championship side, with a, a future goal of being back into the Premier League, absolutely not. I think if if a Phil Parkinson team gets promoted to the to the Championship, it's a side that's going to be struggling, uh, fighting against relegation the following season. Um, but I I just simply cannot advocate him being sacked whilst we've only lost one game all season. We're four points from top with a game in hand. I I, I find myself continually conflicted about it because. I'm not happy with the performances. I'm not confident going into any game, as I've said a couple of times, that we're gonna gonna win it, and yet we are. So I can't really be calling for the manager's head. I, I think it would be it would be unfair. I think we've got ourselves in a position now where um, he's almost bought himself a little bit of breathing space. So I think what it would take now is for us to go, particularly in these next this run of the next few games, to to you know go winless in the in three or four. 
for him to his for his job to seriously be in jeopardy. Um, because say the, the the results stack up at the minute. Um, the, whichever way you look at it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, splinters in your ass again, there, bomber. Um, caveats mm. all over the place. Um, <laughs> well, well, let's. We were supposed to be uh, a bit of a preview as well for the for the FA Cup game, um, which is next up at home to Mansfield Town. I mean, Tom. Um, I mean, how much do we care about a cup run at the moment? I think as fans, we probably don't care that much. Um, obviously, the priority is getting out of this shithole of a league, really, isn't it? Um, and that, that's got to be number one on everyone's agenda. However, current situation dictates that maybe whilst the fans might not be bothered, the people who are bankrolling the football club might be very bothered. I mentioned this in the group the other day when there was a small discussion on it. Um, I think League One clubs cannot, you know, financially cannot afford to not have a cup run this season. I think that is that is something that could very well separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to spending a little bit of money in January. You know, um, looking forward, if you get to January, you know you've got a third-round cup tie against a championship or potentially a Premier League side. You know you've got a bit of money coming in somehow, somewhere, whether it be from streams or, you know, prize money being dished out or whatever. If the draw's kind of you, you could probably even sneak your way into the fourth round if you get a couple of good results. Because I think financially speaking, is the, a cup run could be quite important. It could be an injection of you know, a couple of hundred thousand plus that, you know, could could make a bit of a difference when the clubs haven't exactly got money rolling in. So from a personal point of view, not particularly bothered about how far we go into the FA Cup because we know for a fact we're not going to win it. However, from a financial point of view, could, you know, if you fluke yourself into the fourth round, get yourself a little tie against, you know, Man City or Liverpool, you're on Sky Sports or whatever, the money's rolling in then and then all of a sudden you're thinking... Hell, I'm glad we've done that when you've got a new striker rolling through the door in January because you've you know you've cashed yourself five six hundred grand or something just by getting there. I can't wait to see us getting stuffed off Liverpool or Manchester United on, on Sky Sports. That uh, sounds like just the job at the yeah. minute. Um, but in, just quickly on that on that game, Bomber. I mean, obviously an opportunity for Phil Parkinson to to rotate the squad a bit. But just just a quick point on that: is there a potential scenario where Phil Parkinson you know, rotates it up, you know, brings in some of the players. So he's got Will Gregg in there, Diamond, Neil. Uh, he throws them all in. They all have a great game, get a hat-trick each, all of that sort of stuff. And then Phil Parkinson is completely slaughtered when they're nowhere to be seen for the next game in terms of the starting eleven. Yeah, um, it's it's depending on how um, Parky approaches this game, it's almost like a free hit for him. But he could, you're quite right, he could make a headache for himself. Um I just just to come back on to Tom's point about the financial aspects of um, of an FA Cup run for 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 us, Tom, it's not it's not going to make that much difference. So the the prize money for the FA Cup, um, the, to, so to win if you win a th- your third round tie, it's eighty two grand. Um, second second round tie is thirty four grand, and first round yeah. tie is twenty two grand for a winner. So it, you know it doesn't get into six figures until you get into the fifth round in the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. So I think for, for, for smaller clubs than us, yeah, I think you're right. But I think for us, it's not going to make that much of a difference until, unless we were somehow got into the, the fifth round in the quarterfinals. However, c- coming back to, to what you were, you were saying, Chris, 
Um, it for me, I I don't necessarily care about this game. Um, but it's for me, it's how Phil Parkinson approaches it. And like I said, he's got potentially got a free hit for it. Um, if he uses it as an opportunity to give some of the younger players, your Diamonds, your Neils, um, a, a chance, the, um, your Embletons, a chance to to come in and and at least give him something to think about going into this next run of league games. Um, and we end up, you know, with a a nil nil, um, a reasonable performance, and then winning or, or even losing on penalties. I'm, I, for me personally, I'm not really that bothered about it. If he persists to play a strong his strongest side with it. And we come up short, then I'm going to have a then I'll have a massive issue with it. Um, so I, I, for me, I'd like to see him give you know even Kim Pioca if he's if he's fit enough, uh, Will Grigg, uh, Neil Embleton. I want to see all those play at least 45 minutes of football and and give Parkinson something to think about. Um, if he does that, the result for me is immaterial. Um, as long as as long as these guys are giving a good account of themselves. Yeah. Well, let, let's leave that that extensive preview of that FA Cup game behind since you've both said you don't care about the game. <laughs> Thanks again to everyone listening. Uh, please subscribe and like and give us lots of stars and all of that sort of jazz if you enjoyed it. It's much appreciated. Uh, but from the three of us today, it's bye for now. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.